0: Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week our goal is to simply get a better understanding of God's Word, the Bible. We hope you will get reading this amazing book and join us on this exciting journey. And now, here's your host, Pastor Mark Miner. Well, I honestly believe that today's episode, episode number 96 of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, could be one of the most important episodes that I've ever done and perhaps you've ever listened to. Uh, I truly believe that. Uh, I'm excited beyond words as we look at uh, this episode, which I'm entitling, From Malachi to Matthew. So many times we, if you're a Christian or a Bible student, you pick up your Bible, you get the first 39 books of the Bible. We just made our way through those first 39. That was our goal for this year is to get through the Bible in one year and you're, I'm thankful you're listening. I hope you're learning, enjoying, uh, adding to on your own as I give you the bones, the structure, the dots to make your way through the Bible so that you can understand this incredible book and gift. So we just made our way through the first 39 books of the Bible. Last week was Malachi. And next week we'll start the book of Matthew. So hence the title, From Malachi to Matthew. But if you're like me, you carry your Bible around and we flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we don't often think about the fact that there is a 400-year gap, 400 years between Malachi, the last book written in the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book written in the Testament and recorded in the New Testament. Now, it's important for us, of course, as we want to connect the dots, and that's what we're really uh, always seeking to do in these episodes, but I want to give you a little hint, a little clue. It's an approximation, but it makes sense and it usually will work. If you don't understand or know a number in the Bible, it's always safe to guess 40 or 400. Those numbers appear so much throughout the Bible. I won't say that they're sacred, but certainly that interval has much to do with the biblical history, even human history. In the Bible, 40 years is considered a generation. 40 years is usually understood as a period of testing or trial or probation. The children of Israel were in uh, Exodus. uh, As we read through Exodus, they were in Egypt for about 400 years. Jesus was in the desert for 40 years. And so 40 and 400 just pop up all the time so today we're looking at the 400 years between malachi and matthew There was so much going on. It's not recorded in the Bible, it's recorded in history. And we are going to cover some history today. And so please listen fast, listen well. I will try to explain uh, as clearly and as lucidly as I can, because I know history can be boring. And yet to understand God's plan, particularly as we go into the New Testament, we really need to cover some of these bases that we're going to cover today. There was so much that happened, not only in the Bible, but in the world during these 400 years from 400 B.C. to what we will call 0 A.D. These are the years of uh, Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. These are the years when uh, Confucius and Buddha Uh, come about. These are the years ultimately of even Cleopatra and Alexander the Great and so many names and people things that we might know of be aware of from history We may may not know a whole lot about them and yet as we look at the Middle East the Bible lands uh, So much is going on in the world during these 400 years now we're going to concentrate on just what the Bible has to say as we lead up to, of course, the birth of Christ, the coming of the promised Messiah through the line lineage of Abraham. We'll get to that next week. But this week, bear with me now, we're gonna look at 400 years. Sometimes they're called the silent years, but certainly God wasn't silent and history wasn't silent. Sometimes called the intertestamental period whatever you want to call it, it's the gap between Malachi and Matthew. And that's what we're looking at today. Thank you so much for being on the journey with me. Here we go. We're going to, uh, instead of uh, our normal um, plan of, of having a little background and then some key concepts, today we're really just going to look at what was going on during those 400 years. If you have a pen and paper, or not, you're not driving down the road, I hope. Uh, if you want to take some notes, I will also. that would be good. You might also want to grab the podcast notes, the study notes, which are you can access at the 24 Minute Bible uh, Facebook page. So just type in the numbers two and four, then minute and Bible, and it will come up and I will have notes and graphs and maps for you there. Oh, I know that's exciting. Well, it is for me. I don't know if it is for you or not. But it's just a visual way to help you understand this incredible 400 years between the Old and the New Testament God was working marvelously to tie the Bible together, but also to lay a foundation for the coming of his Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about the Babylonians, about the Persians, about the Greeks, and about the Romans. But let's start with Daniel chapter 2. Daniel is where we're going to start, not to look at the book, but you might remember there was a king, a Babylonian king, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a vision that none of his uh, magicians or astrologers can interpret. Daniel was brought in because he was thought to be one who understood visions. And Daniel, in in, uh, Daniel chapter 2, gives the king a vision, Uh, even tells him what his dream was, and then he interprets the dream for him. But here's the verse, Daniel 2.32. Uh, Concerning a statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream. And this is straight from the scripture. The Bible says the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Now we're not going to get into the interpretation of that. There's all kinds of different ideas out there, but most scholars agree. That what God was doing is giving Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian king, a vision of the 400 years between uh, his death or his kingdom and the coming of the king of kings, Jesus Christ. Again, on the Facebook side of this podcast, I've put a couple of pictures of what that statue may have looked like, at least from the dream, and even the interpretation. Most scholars believe that each of those different metals represented by parts of the statue were representative of kingdoms that were going to take place between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. So, with that in mind, We have Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar if you will, but Daniel's vision giving us the layout of history for the next 400 years, even though we don't have specific books concerning that. So some history here, you won't find this particularly in the Bible, at least not from a book standpoint, but it will make sense and it will certainly tie together the New Testament from these things that are taking place and these kingdoms and the situations that are evolving during this 400 years of silence, or this intertestamental period. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Let's start with Babylon. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the one who destroyed the temple, took captive Daniel, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others, probably Ezekiel, uh, and others, and took them to Babylon. Uh, and we know uh, a little bit about what happened in Babylon. You can remember some of the stories. One of them was the king got so high and lofty that he built a statue of himself. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember that story, the, the fiery furnace? Well, that was, that was Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. So a lot of things in the Bible about Nebuchadnezzar uh, and Daniel charts that. In fact, Daniel served in the administration of Babylon And then later on, the Persian kings, four or five uh, kingships, sort of like serving under four or five different presidents, Daniel did that throughout a long career as a statesman, as an interpreter of dreams, and as a mighty uh, man of God, understood by so many of these Babylonian Persian leaders. So Babylon begins the process. The next kingdom that comes about is the Persian kingdom. And Persia just sort of overwhelms the Babylonian kingdom. It's sometimes called the Medo-Persian kingdom. But you don't have to understand all that. Just understand that you know some of the names of these Persian kings that uh, just sort of absorbed uh, the Babylonian kingdom, actually without a fight. You might remember some of the names of the Persian kings. And we're not going to get into them much, but they're referenced in the Bible. For example, uh, you might remember King Cyrus, He was a Persian king, and Cyrus is the one who allowed the children of Israel to go back to Jerusalem, to leave Persia and Babylon, and to rebuild the temple. That was Cyrus, and we read about him uh, in the books of the major and minor prophets. And then there was Xerxes. You might remember Xerxes. Uh, He had a wife. Let's see, what was her name? I think it was Esther. Yes. Yes. And so we, we have a lot of commingling here, literally, uh, in the Persian kingdom with the Jews that are living there in Babylon and Persia. You might remember Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the one who had a waiter, a cupbearer. His name was Nehemiah. So Nehemiah served uh, very powerfully under the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And then you might remember the name Darius, also a Persian king. Darius is the one who, do you know this answer? He's the one that threw Daniel in the lion's den. So there are many others through the reigns. Remember, we don't, and in the Persian kingdom, in any kingdom, it's not set up in four or eight year increments like we are here in the United States. If you're a citizen of, of this country, where every four or eight years you have a new president and a peaceful transfer of power, that was not the case ever in a kingdom but we do know the names of these kings. Some of them reign for a long time. Some of them reign for days or weeks or months. It just depended. But know the names, uh, Cyrus, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, Darius. They're all mentioned in the Bible and they're all key players. So we have the Persian kingdom. And that's part of this 400 year process. At the end of the Persian kingdom, there is a battle. There is actually one name that you need to remember we went from Babylon Babylon kingdom was absorbed by the Persian kingdom. Again, very much inter, intervolved, uh, interrelated with the Bible. But at the end of the Persian kingdom, there was one name, a Greek, actually from Macedonia, but we consider him Greek, and his name was Alexander the Great. The city Alexandria in Egypt comes from Alexander the Great. Alexander was a a Greek, and he ushered in the Greek kingdom during this four hundred year period of time. Alexander died at the age of thirty-two, but and if again, if you look at the Facebook page, or if you want to just scan for yourself, you look at his kingdom. It went from India uh, all the way up into Europe and down to Egypt, north almost to Russia. Alexander's kingdom was massive, and what he accomplished in his 32 years of life is absolutely amazing. We're not here to talk about Alexander, and the Bible doesn't mention Alexander, but we certainly encounter the uh, residual of Alexander's battles because what he does is he brings Greek culture to the entire biblical world, from India to Europe, all the way down into the Nile and Africa. Alexander's impact cannot be minimized. After Alexander died, his kingdom broke into three different kingships, if you will. They were warring with each other somewhat. Uh, and you don't have to, I'm not trying to get you to remember all this, but I want you to understand the flow of what's going on. After he dies, there was Plotomy. Uh, he as, and I may not always say these names correctly, or they're said different ways, but I'm going to say it the way I pronounce it. Uh, Plotomy, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y and he secured basically Europe and the land of Israel. Then there was Seleucus, another one of Alexander's generals, and he grabbed Syria, which would be the northern part, and Asia Minor, minor over toward Iraq and Iran, those areas. Then there was uh, Antigonus, A-N-T-I-G-O-N-U-S. He uh, took mainly Greece, Uh, and uh, that area to what we would call Europe, Galatia, uh, the Baltics today. So again, not important that you remember that, but what is important is that you remember that the Greek influence was felt all over. Now Israel, the little bitty country of Israel, the size of the state of New Jersey, is right there in the middle. Some Jews that I've talked to quite often said, why is God call this a promised land? This is a horrible place to be because every king and every army that's ever going to come down is going to walk right through Israel. They have to. If they're coming from the north to get to Egypt and its riches, they're coming right through Israel. If the Egyptians are rising up and they're going to uh, take over the Assyrians or going up into uh, Greece or wherever, they're going right through Israel. So Israel is the land in the middle, and yet probably God in his plan allowed that to happen because what an impact Israel has had on the cultures as well as the cultures have had as they traveled through Israel. Well, one of the things that we understand in the Greek influence during this period of time, during these 400 years after Alexander the Great, uh, one of the uh, Seleucius or the Seleucid leaders uh, and there were battles back and forth, and Israel would have a little bit of success. Others would have success. They would take over. You never know who was on first on a given day, month, or year because the battles were almost ongoing. But one king we will mention, a Seleucid king uh, by the name of Antiochus IV, sometimes known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means bright one or brilliant one or the lighted one. <clears throat> Antiochus IV, Uh, had a hatred for the Jews. Now, some people tolerated the Jews. Some people allowed them to practice. Others were much more inclined to take away their worship and their law and their culture. Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes was one of these. Now, hang with me now because I'm not giving you history as much as I'm telling you to setting the stage for what's about to take place in the New Testament. Antiochus came along and he, as I said, despised the Jews. He outlawed the Sabbath. He outlawed circumcision. And to show this great disdain for the Jews, he set up a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the holy temple of the Jews. He also took a pig, which would be anathema to the Jews, pork, and he took a pig and he sacrificed it and he shed its blood there in that holy Jewish temple. Well, of course, uh, that was a major, and you couldn't think of any more way to spit in the face of the Jews than what he did. So there rose up a family of brothers to fight against Antiochus and to purge the temple. Their name uh, means the hammer They are known as the Maccabees, not mentioned in the Bible, but profoundly powerful during this period of time around 200 to 100 BC, during these hundred years. The Maccabees overthrew Antiochus, and they recaptured the temple, they purged it, they cleansed it, and they reinstituted temple worship. Now why do you care about that? Well, maybe you don't care about that particularly, but it's interesting that there was a miracle that took place during the uh, revolt and eventually the conquest of the Maccabees over the Seleucids, over the Greeks. And one of the things that was taking place is there was not enough oil to light the candles, the holy oil that had to be of the sacred formula. And so they only had enough for a certain period of time. But God multiplied that oil according to the legend, and and it seems to be true. It seems to be a miracle, not recorded in Scripture, but codified or, or, or set solidly in Jewish tradition. Because from this miracle, we today have the holiday, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the lighting of the candles as God supernaturally each day kept the candles lit until they were able to make the sacred oil. Again, you may say, well, that's Jewish holidays and and it's not recorded in the scripture, in the Bible, and that's correct. It's not in the Old Testament. There are seven holy days or holidays in the Old Testament. Hanukkah is not one of them. But what is interesting is that Jesus, being a Jewish boy and a Jewish man, celebrated Hanukkah and in John chapter two, verse twenty—excuse me, John ten, twenty-two—we uh, have Jesus at the feast of dedication. It's sometimes called that's Hanukkah, and so that's referring back to this time of the Maccabees. Some people have uh, what's called the apocrypha, hidden books that. Uh, come in between the Old Testament and New Testament. I personally do not believe they are part of the canon, part of the Bible, but sometimes in the Catholic Bible or other Bibles, the Apocrypha is mentioned. And the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees are included with their exploits in these books. I would call them history, but not word of God. Nonetheless, they do mention the Maccabees, and this was an important period of time. So, a lot going on, but understand, big picture here, the Greeks had changed the culture tremendously. And that impacted even to Jesus' day. Now the Greeks were eventually overcome by the Romans. So we went from the Babylon, uh, Babylon kingdom to the Persian kingdom. Now the Greek kingdom with, Antioch, excuse me, with, with Alexander the Great and then all those who succeeded him for 150 so years. And now the Romans, Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, Now the Romans take over the promised land, and they are powerful as an army, powerful as a culture. But if you remember, one of the things the Romans did, they tended not to have their own culture. They just absorbed other cultures. And certainly the Romans absorbed the Greek culture and all of its lavishness, all of its uh, philosophies so much. And certainly all of the pagan practices that the Greek and the Greek gods, all those were just absorbed by the Romans. Again, why do we care about this? Well, we're laying a foundation for the world that Jesus is going to be born in. For example, it was Augustus Caesar, also known as Octavian, who instituted the census that caused Joseph and his pregnant wife Mary to journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem so that their child would be born in a manger in Bethlehem. That's all because of the Romans. The Romans did a lot of great things that were very helpful to the civilization. There's a thing called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The Romans were so solid, so strong, their army so powerful that nobody dared to revolt. And so there was generally peace across the land. The Romans were builders, and they built roads all over the place, solid roads, roads that are still in existence today in Israel, Roman roads from Jerusalem to Jericho. You can walk a Roman road. It still exists. They were powerful with their government and the way they divided things. You'll remember Pontius Pilate was a Roman. They built Roman cities, and the Roman cities are all the same. One blueprint for a Roman city, it has all the same things in every Roman city uh, that you might experience. So the Romans were powerful, and they're certainly there when Jesus was born. I want to move quickly to the last two uh, points. So we went from Babylon to the Persian kingdom to the Greek kingdom to now the Roman kingdom, which is kind of concludes the kingdoms during this 400-year period of time. But during this 400 year period of time, there were also some things that developed that dramatically impacted the New Testament. One of those things is the development of a religious system that included the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's nothing about the Old, in the Old Testament about the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're not a God ordained or a biblically ordained group of people, and yet they evolved during this period of time, particularly during the time of the Maccabees, uh, as religious leaders, during this intertestamental period. The, the Pharisees, the best way to understand this, forgive me, this is broad and don't take any offense here, but the Pharisees were the Republicans and the Sadducees were the Democrats, if that makes some sense to you. The Pharisees were very conservative. They were all about laws. They had 616 laws. Jesus went sideways with them so many times because he broke what they considered the laws, not the covenant, not the, the scripture, but the Pharisees, the bureaucrats that they were, made them into codifiable laws, for example, a Sabbath day's journey. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where it talks about a Sabbath day's journey. The Pharisees decided that a Sabbath day's journey was three, about three quarters of a mile. And that's as far as you could travel on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were all about rules. The Sanhedrin, much less about rules. They kind of liked the Greeks and the Romans. They liked the the the, calderia, the hot baths that the Romans had. They liked the luxury of it all. Uh, they didn't really buy into all the Old Testament prophets. They accepted the first five books of Moses, and that was all. If you'll remember, Paul was a Pharisee. And Paul, one day in the book of Acts, stands up and, and says, My friends, I am a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's found in the book of Acts. Why did he do that? Well, because the Pharisees believed that there would be a resurrection. The Sadducees, not so much. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these two parties uh, that rose up during this period of time. Let me, uh, you can learn so much more about them, but just understand that these are players in the New Testament as we come. The Herods. There's so much to say about the Herods, and I've given you a chart of the Herods, and uh, again, on the Facebook side that you might want to look at. Herod the Great lived for 68 years from 72 B.C. to 4 B.C. Uh, He really wasn't a Jew. He was an Arab, an Edomian. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, he took the title because Rome, he was very closely aligned with Rome. He was sort of a, a client state of them. He would do whatever Rome told him to do. And he became the king of the Jews, even though he wasn't really Jewish. So when some wise men show up, some magi from Persia, and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews, he was offended because he was the king of the Jews. And of course, it is King Herod, Herod the Great, who authorized the killing of the babies in Bethlehem, searching and trying to wipe out this one that was born king of the Jews. So you get the idea there. Herod's uh, kids are eventually ruled and we read about them not only in the book of the, uh, books of the gospel but continuing on in the book of acts much to understand there but just to understand this I'm a little over so hang with me for just a moment please but so we have the Babylonian kingdom Babylonian kingdom we we read about that in the bible then we went to the Persian kingdom we have some of that during this 400 years uh, in the bible then we have the Greek kingdom which transformed the known world the romans who took over for the Greeks and in this period of time, we had the Pharisees and Sadducees, and these rulers, at least in Israel, called the Herods. Herod is not a name; it's a family name. It's actually a title. Uh, Herod the Great did a lot of building. He built, rebuilt the temple. So, uh, so many things that Herod built, even though he was a wicked, evil man, uh, killed his father-in-law, his mother, uh, at least two of his sons. And uh, Caesar Augustus once said, "It would be better to be Herod's dog." than to be his son. So brutal and uh, vindictive was Herod the Great. So, so much to talk about. I'm gonna finish out with just tying it all together here hopefully. So what are we doing? We're setting the stage for the New Testament and Jesus. The Romans, for example. Well, it was Caesar Augustus that was very much involved. Pilate was a Roman judge that issued the death uh, sentence for Jesus. Crucifixion is a Roman style of death. That's why these 400 years matter. All of this was coming into play so that prophecies could be fulfilled in the New Testament, could tie into the Old Testament. Herod the Great, we know about him. We also know about his son, Herod Antipas. You might remember he took his brother's wife and ultimately beheaded John the Baptist. That's Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. He also was the one who put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head and mocked him. Then there's the Pharisees. They came about during this 400-year period of time, and they're the ones who demanded the death of Jesus because he broke their rules and he was threatening their uh, religious kingdom, if you will. Then there's Hanukkah, which Jesus uh, celebrated himself as a boy and as a Jewish man. All of this and so, so much more taking place during these 400 silent years, these, this intertestamental period. So we go from Malachi to... To Matthew the stage is set now when uh, uh, a birth is going to take place first John the Baptist we'll look at that and then of course the birth of the prophesied one the Messiah Jesus the Christ I hope this has helped make some sense I would really encourage you uh, to look at the Facebook page and get some of those charts and maps just to see how things were coming together put this the silent period together and the New Testament will make so much more sense to you. So a lot of history today. Thank you for being involved. Went a little long, but uh, I'll go shorter next time. Well, maybe. No promises there. But hope this has been interesting. Thank you for being a part. Uh, look forward to seeing you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.